Broadcasting live from atop the Rocky Mountains, the crossroads of the West. You are listening to the Liberty Roundtable Radio Talk Show. All right. Happy to have you along, my fellow Americans. Sam Bushman live on your radio. Hard-hitting news the networks refuse to use. No doubt continues now. This, my fellow Americans, is the broadcast for... February the 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2023. This is our two of two in the goal always to protect life, liberty, and property, to promote God, family, and country, to do so on your radio and the traditions of our founding fathers. Yes, indeed, we use the checks and balances brilliantly put in place by the founding fathers and the supreme law of our land, the Constitution of the United States of America, as our guide. As you know, we reject revolution. We stand for peaceful restoration of the greatest country on the face of the earth. Wow, riveting hour, last hour with Kelly Finnegan, RussCoinandGift.com. We talked about the Honest Money Report, constitutional currency, gold and silver. We talked about we lied, we cheated, we stole. Yeah, that's what Mike Pompeo says. He was former leader of the CIA. Where's the criminal prosecutions, I would ask. We also talked about behind every great fortune, there is a crime. Wow, incredible hour. It'll be up in podcast or archive form uh, a little bit after the show today. Now, this hour, we have a couple of incredible guests. First one is a lady by the name of Sherry Sapir, and she's a mother. She's a business owner. She's a problem solver. Her website, sapiraz.com. That's S-A-P-I-R, S-A-P-I-R, then A-Z for Arizona, sapiraz.com. Uh, she was a candidate, ladies and gentlemen, for the Arizona um, superintendent of schools. Uh, she was Carrie Lake's pick, if you will, an advisor for the campaign for school programs. Now, she's got an interesting resume that I want to dig into a little bit at first. Um, she's a successful, successful real estate broker, property manager, general contractor, and interior designer. Well, she also served in the Israeli military, ladies and gentlemen. She was assisting bereaved family members with logistical, financial, and emotional needs. You know what? She was the one negotiating, bringing the soldiers' remains back home, folks. And so, you know what? She helped people at the lowest point of their lives. And, wow, education seems to be at an all-time low, too. And she wants to help those folks. Cherie, welcome to Liberty Roundtable Live. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Tell me about you personally, though, a little bit. I've got a lot of your credentials here, but uh, tell me who you were growing up and a, a little bit about your life. Huh. Um, well, I grew up in Israel uh, with the American dream uh, sewed in my, in my heart uh, since a very young age. Always looked up to this country, thinking it's the best place on earth, which I am convinced it is, although they're really trying to sabotage that. And they're almost successful. Um, you know, I had a, a, a pretty nice childhood. Everything, you know, was kind of great going, growing up. Um, thinking about the days that our children are going and the experiences that our children are going through right now. We had really great childhoods. We were free. We were happy. We were running around the street. Uh, there was no worry, even though I was in Israel and there was always the fear of terrorism. Uh, there was a sense of freedom and innocence. Uh, that I'm really grateful for now. Maybe I didn't know that as much when I was younger, but I know it now. Um, being, you know, part of the military is just what you have to do as an Israeli citizen. 
and that was a great experience as well, though it was, uh, you know, you're 18, you're very young. Uh, it's a very emotionally loaded experience for a lot of people, but I think it, it creates a lot of great characteristics in, in a young adult, uh, such as responsibility and, and being part of a team and understanding authority um, and, and, and the like. So, so that was a great experience. And, you know, the path that I'm on right now, fast forward 20 years, I mean, the, the last 20 years, I just did what the American dream calls for, right? Working hard, making money, succeeding, um, uh, building a successful company, traveling the world, having a family, three children, a husband. So everything was, I thought was fine until a few years ago when we realized this country um, was going to hell. And that's when... I started waking up and it was really significant for me about three years ago with COVID. Uh, that was really what woke me up and said, sure, your life is not that great, actually. Um, your children are in institutions that don't believe they these children belong to you. And they think that they can make medical decisions for your children. And they think that they can indoctrinate them and change their worldview uh, unbeknownst to you every single day that they're there and they're set to be there 16,000 hours between the the age of, of 6 to 18 and that really changed my life sadly uh, I'm not as happy as I used to be because once you see some of these things you just cannot unsee them uh, and this is the path well, I'm on right and now. then you decided to do what Americans do when they have problems you decided to go ahead and work on solving them right Right. I mean, you can complain all day long and be a keyboard warrior, but what good does that do? So, uh, running right, for so office. You decided to get involved in the education department uh, for the state of Arizona, right? Right. So I decided to run for office. Of course, go big or go home. Right. I, I decided to be to run for the state superintendent, which is essentially the secretary of education in the state. Uh, having never been an educator. Uh, I never thought that you need to be an educator to run that office because it is an executive position. You need to run a lot of people and a lot of money. And the person at the time uh, was a Democrat, Kathy Hoffman. Uh, she rolled out the mask mandates and she was all for the shutdowns of the schools, which I fought against and ended up pulling my kids out and put them in a private school because I was not going to have them uh, in remote learning for months on end. And I was not going to have them wear a mask because that was what I thought was good for my family. And I should be able to make these kind of choices and decisions for my family, I thought. So uh, so it became personal with her. I, I hated everything she stood for. I thought she was uh, a horrible human being. I thought she was not really doing anything to uh, promote the academic level and learning uh, of, this, of, of the children in the state. And the, and the numbers show that we're a failure uh, on, on every level. So I decided to run against her. And even though it's not what you usually do, because you need to go to run for city council and school board and, you know, pay your dues. Uh, I felt there was a sense of urgency. We don't have that kind of time. Our kids don't have time for me to r run around for different uh, political offices and get there. We need to fix it. We need to fix it now. And that's why I ran. So as you began to run, <laughs> strangely enough, you had your phone cloned and you had all kinds of attacks personally right yes uh i didn't know about that actually after the fact after my campaign was over um that there was uh an attempt to put a, uh, some sort of tracking device on my car and this was all coming from 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 uh, x seal actually that was uh 
uh, employed with that job and, and he came forth and told us. But uh, I guess it's expected, you know, Republicans need to understand, conservatives need to understand that we don't play the game nearly uh, the same as they do. Uh, they play really dirty. Uh, I, I would have never even thought to do anything of, of the like to my opponents, right? It's not even a thought. So to them, they'll do whatever it takes to derail you and, and destroy you as early on as they can. And they did not want me in that position because they knew what I was going to do. And that was to uh, transform and reform the failing education apparatus in this state. It's hard to know how to handle this. So uh, how did you discover your phone uh, being, uh, I don't know what you want to say, cloned, controlled? How did you find out about this? Actually, um, somebody who is uh, in, in security that actually ended up wi winning an, an election here for, for a seat, I'm not going to specify, um, he had, because he's in the intelligence community, he had somebody who was tasked with that job uh, come forth and say, uh, I, I, I came to one of the meetings to uh, to see her to do that, to put the device on her, her car. And I really liked so much what she said. It was so difficult for me. I decided not to do it. And he came and told us now whether or not they put it, somebody else ended up putting it. I don't know. These things kind of go on and they live for as long as the battery lives and, you know, a, a month or two and it's, it's gone. So, but the fact that this was even something that they assigned anybody to do was, you know, I, I'm just a mom. I'm just a regular person. You know, we, we don't expect to be having our rights violated and our privacy violated. And you know that you will to some extent when you're running for office, you're no longer just a private citizen, but uh, it, yeah, it shakes you. Yeah, but there's you. lines that we don't accept crossing in America, right? You would think. But I'm telling you so right now, what, the other side is, is not thinking that way. Amen to that. So what did the, cloning your phone do then? Did it allow them to pretend they were you? Did it allow them to monitor your communications? What, what do you think the uh, intent is? Yes, they monitor your communications. They can download uh, data and, and then pictures and documents and uh, to some extent even call logs and, and text messages depending on um, how they did that. So yeah, they can, your information then is theirs and they can save it um, and use it against you when the time comes. All right, what does the landscape look like now? You ran on, uh, in my opinion, some incredible principles. You ran uh, on uh, what your website contains now, which is a transparency portal. You ran on exposing indoctrination. You ran on a parent's bill of rights and more. I think what you ran for is what matters most. Exactly, that's why they didn't want me in that office. Uh, and it's what everybody know, wants if they just know what how bad things are. You know, the problem is that a lot of people don't understand how bad things are. They, they, there was a, lot, a bit of uproar in this country during the COVID times with the shutdowns and some more of us showing up. Um, hey, can we go you go ahead and break? the break for me? Go ahead, Shree. Thank you. But the, the problem was that a lot of these people kind of settled back into their comfortable life and they continue to send these children to what I called indoctrination camps. And that's exactly what, what they are. This is not anymore about the mask or the, or the shutdowns. This is about a coordinated effort and success, by the way, to change the hearts and minds, the set of values, the moral compass, the, the worldview of our children to hate this country, to hate their parents, 
to hate themselves. And they're doing it so well right now that anybody who's keeping their child in a public school just need to understand that they're sending their child into a building that is on fire. And I, I recommend against it. Now, I know in a lot of other states, uh, people don't have choices. We in Arizona do have school choice that's universal that we passed last year. And of course, the new governor, uh, who is a Democrat, is going to do everything she can to take it away from us. And she might succeed eventually if we lose the House and the Senate in a couple, year, couple years. But for now, we have it. And I know other states don't have that luxury. But if you do have the opportunity to spend the money somewhere else, if you can pull your kids out of the, the public schools, you're going to do yourself a big favor because I traveled all over the state of Arizona for 18 months. And I can tell you, meeting with thousands of people, people tell me, we send our kids to high school, and especially when we send them to college and university, they go liberal, and they don't want to speak with us anymore. And I heard it so many times, and I encourage every one of the listeners to think today of anybody they know. Maybe it happened to them, and uh, see just how prevalent that problem, that phenomenon is around this country where your kids are going to high education, and you're losing them. You want to learn more about what Shapiro uh or Shiree Sapper is doing, ladies and gentlemen, you can learn more about her problem-solving opportunities. Her website is very informative. Sapir, az.com, that's S-A-P-I-R-A-Z.com. And I really think that portal is critical. It's a transparency portal, ladies and gentlemen, to help you uh, understand the indoctrinations that's happening uh, and really, a parent's bill of rights was kind of what you were going to advocate for, uh, and to some degree what we need. But, you know, people don't understand. If you don't put your kids in the government school, you don't need a bill of rights, right? So I appreciate right. the bill of rights, and I appreciate the response. How well did that trend? Because, uh, you know, everybody lost the elections. Carrie believes it was fraud. I think she's right about that reality check. Uh, where do you stand on that, and, and what do you think here? Yes, our elections are far from perfect. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me if I'm going to run again, and I say absolutely not. Uh, I still, everywhere I go, people tell me we don't think you lost. So whether it's true or not is irrelevant. The problem is that the sentiment among the people of this country and this state is that there is election issues. And for those who are in power, if there is really no problem, do everything you can to be transparent and help us change that sentiment. At the very least, that's what you should do, right? But they're not trying to do that. They're not coming forward. They're not trying to, to clear the, 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 the laws or make sure they enforce the laws that are, that are on the books and make sure that everything is transparent and clear. They're not doing that. So we don't feel comfortable uh, with what happened. We don't think this, I, don't, I definitely don't think Arizona is blue. Uh, it's shocking to me that we lost all state, uh, most of the state uh, positions uh, this last election. It's just uh, the attorney general, the secretary of state, the governor. I mean, it, it's, 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 I've been around this state. This state is not blue, I can tell you. So it, it's very heartbreaking to see because the, the policies that they're rolling out are unbelievably damaging for the state and for its people. And uh, when it comes to our rights, they, they really don't really don't care. They really just care about the power and to continue to implement their uh, agenda. And I can tell you they've targeted the kids for 60 years now in this country, but they targeted the kids because every child today that is being indoctrinated in the public school is going to become a voter. Not this year, not next year, in five years, in six years. They're in the long, 
game plan, right? It's not just about winning tomorrow. And that's like us, the Republicans, who want to win now and change now, and we feel so passionate. They're sitting there, they have their strategy, and they knew that through the children, you know, like Hitler said, uh, the one who, who owns the, the youth owns the future. They know that if they get the children, they got everything. And I can tell you we, in, in school board meetings, in, in other places, you can see these kids step up and talk. And I cringe because they, they just such group thinkers and they are so uh, trained to say the same talking points, like almost like on the media, right? When you have those different, <laughs> different um, news channels saying exactly the same thing at exactly the same time because they all got the same script. That's how it is, and it's just, it's just it's disturbing. And if we're losing this youth, this generation, uh, and I'm talking in the next five years, it's not long. Uh, they're not going to need to uh, to mess with our elections. They're not going to need the border open. They are training our Democrat voters in our schools on our dimes every single day. We're set to lose this battle. Cherise, appear with me, ladies and gentlemen. SapirAZ.com, the website. What do you think the American people should do now? I know you lost the election. I know Carrie's fighting to try to get transparency and accountability there. We commend Carrie for her work, commend you for your efforts. But what do you think the American people ought to be doing now? What can we do to counteract this, right? So we need to understand how did we get here, right? The way we got here is through, uh, again, coordinated effort of a lot of their nonprofit organizations going into our communities especially minority communities, and gaining their trust. They're sitting there for a year or two or three. They're in every YMCA. They're in every other um, you know, community organization. And they help them. They help them with a path to citizenship. They help them with food stamps, with Section 8, with a divorce lawyer. Whatever you need, they have. Now, these nonprofit organizations, and a lot of them get a lot of our taxpayer money, they're sitting there in these communities, they gain their trust, they recruit people from within the community to spread the word, to knock on doors, to make the phone calls, to gain the other community members' trust, and they get them to vote. The Republican Party, tell me about something that's similar that we do, that's remotely similar to that. Nothing. We do rallies, everybody's coming with their cowboy hats and their flag shirts, and they're singing along, and then we go home. It's, it's not the same. There's no way we're going to win this way. There's no way we're going to win this way. Then they took every association over from the firefighters association to a lot of the police associations, definitely the, the teachers unions, the real estate uh, associations, the, every association there is in this country, they've taken over. Do we have any counterpart to that? Do we have any, a, anything that's similar to that that's working? No. So they're forcing us to give our dues to them, even though this is a right to work state, a lot of people do for different associations because you want to belong, because you need some of the information. Um, and, and they're using our money against us in elections, they're using that money like with the school board candidates, right? The school board associations, the national, the one that's called us domestic terrorists, we're paying into that and then they're using it against us. So their model is so vast and so comprehensive and so just fantastic, really. It's brilliant. And then you're looking at the Republican one and it's nothing. It's some rallies. 
with some people pissed off, sometimes showing up to city council or a school board meeting, thinking that they vote the same day when the machines are tempered with is the, the most genius idea there is. Well, that's not obviously not working out, uh, working out for us. So what are we doing? We're not winning. We're never going to win this way. We have to create the exact same system to have uh, an identical system to the one that they have and unleash it. And to me, the answer to that is the churches. Those same churches that have these huge mega buildings that can have hundreds of children in school there instead of having that church empty the entire week and just being used on Sunday for a couple of hours because these children are with the indoctrination camps in the indoctrination camps for 16,000 hours from kindergarten through 12th grade. How much do you have them in the church? Two hours, 52 weeks a year times 12, do the math. Less than a thousand hours, less than 1,200 hours. Are you gonna win that war, that cultural war? He stand no chance, Mr. Priest. So they need to start organizing and they need to start pushing back against the separation of state and church. It's ne it was never in the constitution. We all know it. They use it all the time as a talking point. We need to be able to have all the churches come together and say, sue us, come and sue us. Like, like the transformers, right? The one trans transformer is, is weak maybe, but when they're all joining together to become that big transformer, Nobody could beat them. That's what the churches need to do because they're the only org already organized. Uh, yeah, it, it's like my buddy and co-host Kurt Crosby says, you know, they say you can't have Bibles in schools, but what if everybody brought their Bible? Right. Are you going to do arrest everybody? Right. Your point's well taken, and that is the solution. Churches, yes. we used to have the uh, black-robed regiment, which had nothing to do with black or white people, had to do with the clothes uh, that they wore. The black-robed regiment was religious people back in the day of the founding fathers. We need that back again, Cherie. Absolutely. Listen, I'm, I'm Jewish, right? But I see this country as a Christian country. This is what the founding fathers wanted. This is what they set out this country to be. And for us to allow to the secular, atheist, postmodern humanist movement to take over every aspect of our life, taking away the Ten Commandments from the public square. What is wrong with telling people not to steal and not to cheat and not to lie and not to kill? Why is it so offensive? This is, this is why we're 60 years too late. I can tell you right now, we're 60 years too late to this, but we have a slight change if we completely have a revive and revolution within the churches and saying, you know what, we, we were really trying to play, play the game, but you don't co continue to bow down just to keep your tax exemption uh, status. What good is your tax exemption status in these big buildings and these beautiful artifacts and this beautiful band and music and lights and all of these things when these kids are then going to college and you'll never see them again? And they marry a secular uh, atheist. What good is that? And the statistics show that that's what you're set out to have happen to you if you keep your kids in these institutions. So the churches need to wake up. That's all I can tell you. If, 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 you, if, if they come together and they fight it like a lot of churches did in California against the tyranny and the mandates, they, they, they made some waves. They, they were successful. And I think it's time that we do it all over this country. Cherie Sapir, thank you so much for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to learn more, She's talking about solutions in education. She's a problem solver. Uh, she's come to America and thinks it's the greatest place on earth. I, can, I agree with her. She's been defrauded out of her election. That's my opinion to which I'm entitled. Carrie Lake carrying that ball. We back her 100% in that. 
Sapir, that's S-A-P-I-R-A-Z, because she's from Arizona. SapirAZ.com is where you can learn more about her incredible work and efforts. If you had a final parting shot to tell the world, what would you say, uh, Sheree? I would say save your kids. We're on a children rescue mission. Save them, love them, hug them, and keep them away from indoctrination. God bless you and your work, ma'am. We'll talk soon. Thank you. There she goes, doing a phenomenal job, ladies and gentlemen, right here on the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. Coming up next, Pete Sepp, National Taxpayers Union, on your radio. Protecting your liberties. You're listening to Liberty News Radio. USA News, I'm Lance Pry. The House Judiciary Committee will hold a hearing today called the Biden Border Crisis Part 2. As Democrats blame scheduling conflicts for not being able to attend today, both sides of the aisle agree to disagree on a solution. NBC correspondent Ali Vitali in Yuma, Arizona. Even as this issue is so persistent and so agreed upon by both sides that there is a crisis here and something needs to be done, there is little to no agreement on what that something is. As ice storms and blizzard conditions continue to hinder the Midwest today, along the West Coast, snow could reach the shoreline. National Weather Service meteorologist Frank Pereira. And that's going to bring snow into areas, parts of the country that don't typically see snow, uh, with the snow levels uh, dropping all the way to the coast across portions of uh, southern Oregon and northwestern California. Former President Trump criticized the federal response to the toxic train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, as a betrayal during a visit to the village where residents and local leaders are increasingly frustrated with the minimal federal response. Unfortunately, as you know, in too many cases, your goodness and perseverance were met with indifference and betrayal in some cases. After three weeks since the devastation, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg has arrived at the site of the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, this morning. Fans have been talking about a collaboration for a bazillion years, and now it's happening. It's a collaboration that's been in the making a long, long while. The Rolling Stones is said to be planning and recording with the two surviving Beatles for a new Stones album. Paul McCartney has reportedly already recorded some bass parts, and Ringo Starr is set to play on the album as well. Mick Jagger said last year that a lot of tracks for the Stones' first album of original material in years are already done. I'm Julio Flores. We are USA News. Hi, this is Joe Cordell with the law firm Cordell & Cordell. When the prospect of divorce becomes a reality, you need a partner that you can count on. If you're a man in this situation, consider contacting Cordell & Cordell. We've helped men navigate complex legal matters for 30 years. Contact Cordell & Cordell to schedule an appointment with one of our firms online at CordellCordell.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services to be performed is greater than the quality of legal services performed by other lawyers. Online at CordellCordell.com. CordellCordell.com. Do you owe the IRS $10,000 or more in back taxes? Are you being audited or investigated? Has the IRS sent you a letter demanding payment? You may not owe what they claim. Make this free call to the tax doctor now. Let them negotiate with the IRS on your behalf. 800-485-8801. 800-485-8801. That's 800-485-8801.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, back with you live, Mr. Pete Sapp, president of National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org. Welcome back, my friend. Always great to be here. Man, we have so much to cover, sir. There's some incredible articles at NTU.org. I'm going to start with a couple of headlines to really drill home the point. Peak and rock and roll with each headline. CBO, that's the Congressional Budget Office. CBO, new budget baseline should raise red flags for lawmakers. Article written by Demian Brady. Uh, incredible pros here highlighting the concern that they're not even close to balancing the budget and they're not even really talking about it, Pete. Yeah, that's the real problem, Sam. The Congressional Budget Office, of course, is the official scorekeeping arm of the U.S. Congress. They're not some partisan outfit. They're intended essentially to provide just data to members of Congress, Republicans and Democrats, to determine where the nation is fiscally, revenues and expenditures and whatnot. Well, okay, so the latest baseline, in other words, the annualized projections for revenues and expenditures just came out about a week or so ago. And now, even though the pandemic is largely past us, the emergency spending associated with the pandemic is supposed to be past us. Um, the good news is the deficit fell from about $3 trillion in 2020 to $1.4 trillion. Unfortunately, next year it's going to start rising again. Even without more spending on the pandemic, there are other federal spending programs that just keep outstripping federal revenues. It is just a constant battle to keep spending down. That's the real problem here, Sam. Federal revenues are actually growing as a percent of our economy in dollar amount terms. Even when you take a look at inflation, a lot of federal revenues are keeping up with or ahead of inflation. But the federal spending just keeps traveling upward faster than all of that revenue. And the reason that happens, Pete, I'm going to be clear uh, and explain it uh, on the kitchen table as simply as I can. If I misstep, uh, say, say so. Uh, I want to get this right, but I want to be clear also. The reason that is, ladies and gentlemen, is you and I, when we look at our budgets, if I'm going to spend $100 and I say I'm, going to, I'm not going to spend any more this year than 100 bucks, that's my budget, then I don't spend any more than $100. If I want to spend less, then I spend $99. If I spend 101, that's more, okay? But that's not the way that the government budgets. What they budget is, hey, over the next 10 years, we're going to spend $100 today. Next year, $110. Next year, 120 Year after that, 130 140 150 And they're saying they're not really even increasing spending because all they're doing is carrying out projections. So in their minds, in their world, in their circles of deception, there's really no increase. You and I would say that's, that's right. psychotically absurd. But they would say, no, we were going to spend $200. Huh, man, the last five years, all we've done is, well, we've kept with what was projected. We haven't increased any spending at all. Now, it's a flat-out lie in our world, but isn't that how it works, Pete? Yeah, that's exactly how it works, Sam. And even worse, it also works in the opposite direction. If you want to say, hey, you know, instead of spending $105 next year, like the projections say, how about we do 104? Well, okay, 
most people in the real world would say, well, if you spent $100 a year before, you're getting a 4% increase in spending. Not in Washington. They'd say, well, wait, we were going to spend 105 so you're actually cutting spending by 20%. That and we could have spent one hundred and six. We could have spent one hundred and six. Uh, the reality is, life justifies one hundred and six. But man, we're trimming down big time, Pete. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's exactly right, and and that's why we're in this problem. And that's why we need to look at the CBO's budget baseline. The CBO doesn't play those games. The CBO gives it to you straight. It's a data organization, and they're telling you by the baseline budgetary reality, it should be raising red flags for not only lawmakers, uh, as Damian Brady wisely says, but for we the people to push back and say, you know what, this cannot continue. But now we've got another concern on our mind. Uh, Nicholas Johns at NTU.org brings it up, says, hey, SCOTUS, don't break the Internet. I mean, this is, on one hand, laughable. On the other hand, when you understand that it's real, Pete. Yeah, this is a problem because, once again, when politicians don't understand the thing that they want to tax or regulate or subsidize, taxpayers get into trouble really quickly. And boy, that starts with the Internet. When you think back to the mid-1990s, when the Internet was becoming something that most households were attracted to and wanted to use, one of the first things that politicians wanted to do was taxing. Figure out how to put a special tax on Internet services above and beyond the taxes you used to pay on your phone line, for example, to have a slow Internet service brought into your home. Same thing when it got faster and you got it through cable television or even through satellite. Those services were already taxed. Politicians wanted to slap a tax on top of it. We were able to fight back on that. The Internet Tax Freedom Act was passed and kept getting renewed. It was finally made permanent, and it said to elected officials, you're getting enough taxes already from taxing the existing service. Don't say that just because you're getting the Internet over a phone line or satellite or cable, you get a special tax. No. Well, this is what's happening with something called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. What it basically does is provide immunity to online platforms for content that gets posted by third parties. In other words, if... um, Something violent uh, ends up on an Internet platform. Uh, Well, the platform may decide, hey, uh, this is a problem. We don't like this kind of rhetoric. If they're breaking the law and actually encouraging people to break the law, certainly um, they have a duty to take that content down. But if it's just controversial, how is the platform itself supposed to police that? Section 230 says... The platform can't get sued for that kind of content. Well, people are suing now, and the case is going all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court to decide, well, can these platforms that provide just the forum for certain content be held financially liable if somebody uses that content for a bad thing? And uh, the Supreme Court, if uh, the oral arguments in this case were heard very recently, and many of the justices 
actually expressed some humility, something you very rarely see in Washington, D.C. And they were saying, look, uh, we don't think that as a court we should be experts on technology or Section 230 or how regulations should go. Why doesn't Congress get some expert opinions and figure out whether there needs to be legislation here or not? And uh, that's a sign that the Supreme Court may say, for once, again, in Washington, D.C., maybe we won't mess with the Internet. Maybe we won't mess with something we don't understand. And boy, well, and that's the problem. That... you got the top attorneys in the land that are supposed to know everything. Now they're telling you that it's beyond their lack of understanding and knowledge. And that's kind of why I think that the government should not have meddled with the Internet in the first place. All the regulations. Now what we're debating is, well, was that regulation good or bad? Let's tweak the regulation or let's get rid of the regulation altogether. And what they do is they create this crisis uh, based on government creation, created crises in the first place. Uh, Pete? Yes. Yes, exactly. And it even goes into the spending area. A lot of local governments, for example, taxed their citizens to create government-provided Internet services. And, you know, that's an awfully expensive proposition. And you see it all over the country in places like Tennessee and Montana, uh, Iowa, where governments decided to provide Internet service uh, courtesy of taxpayers, and they could never break even on the service. They always needed more money. And um, that, too, is a lesson that governments don't necessarily know what they're doing in areas like these. Uh, we pray they won't break the Internet. What do you think is going to happen? After hearing these oral arguments, I get the feeling that the Supreme Court may back off. The decision may be very narrow, but they might very well say, hey, if you're going to do anything in this area, it's going to be up to Congress and not a court. Um, I don't necessarily know if Congress should be meddling, but I sure know that courts shouldn't be meddling. Well, and that's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Think about the checks and balances that this great country is known for. If we're going to change legislation, it needs to be a congressional change. Now, you and I can push for Congress to do something or not do something. That's what we should do. But certainly the courts don't make law. They interpret law. And the most they can say now is, we think this law is bogus. Congress, go back to the drawing board. You're leaving everybody confused here. And it's up to you to straighten it out. That's our prayer. All right, quick pause. When we come back, remote work is here to stay. We'll talk about it in seconds with Pete Sepp, president of National Taxpayers Union, NTU. Why does the left lie constantly? Because they get spiritual power from lying. The lies come from Satan, the father of lies. John 8, 44. Here's how the political lying process works. Satan provides the beast with a lie. Then the more they use the lie, the more spiritual power they get. Look, the media is a lie multiplier, and this multiplication gives more evil, spiritual power to the beast, and that can overwhelm and even deceive the body of Christ, especially when the body is being disobedient to the head. The churches today are incorporated, so they're subordinate to human government. They obey the beast and do nothing to restore our national relationship with God. And the government shall be on his shoulders, Isaiah 9:6. That verse is not for the present-day church. Rather, it is for the end-time church, the body of the line of Judah. A message from Christ Kingdom Ministries. How many times do I have to tell you? 
I swear, it just goes in one ear and out the other. Don't you understand English? Your children are probably too polite to tell you. Hello, those things on the side of your head aren't turnips. But they get just as frustrated when you won't listen to them as you do when they won't listen to you. Do I need to speak slower? In fact, few things show children how much they're valued and respected more than a parent's willingness to listen. Tell me what she did at work today. Studies show when parents listen, children develop better listening skills themselves. They also tend to have more self-confidence and are more likely to avoid alcohol and drugs. Now sit down here and tell me all about it. When you really listen, love is what they'll hear. Thank you for sharing that with me. From the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. For more tips on strengthening your family, visit family.mormon.org. Live and on your radio, ladies and gentlemen, Pete Sepp, president of National Taxpayers Union, NTU.org, with support on the most local of levels all the way up to the general level of our government, providing think tank solutions and ideas to lower your taxes and pay for the proper limited role of constitutional government. Boy, howdy, do they have their work cut out for them. They need your support and your help in every way possible, but they're also here to partner with you and your organization, ntu.org, ladies and gentlemen. Where does your state rank is the question. The 2023 Rome Index, how state income tax codes affect remote work and mobile workers, an incredible article by Andrew Wilford. Remote work is here to stay, folks. I'm telling you right now. The Census Bureau estimates that, you know what? The number of Americans working remotely since 2019 has tripled to like 27-plus million people, right? Some Americans yeah. have returned to in-person work, but you know what? Most folks have a hybrid arrangement where they work from home. How is this panning out from a tax point of view and from a day-to-day -day life point of view, Pete? Well, unfortunately, tax and regulatory policies have not kept up with remote work trends. Uh, we fail to see uh, the proper actions being taken on things like filing thresholds. In other words, if you work a certain number of hours from home every week, you're in a different state, you spend maybe one day a week working uh, from your home and four days a week commuting. Um, unfortunately, in many cases, there are a lot of states and even localities that say, you even spend two hours a week working outside a jurisdiction. We still believe that we should be able to reach into your home and tax you, even though you're not actually commuting into our state or our city. They still want the money. Um, there are also reciprocity agreements. Uh, some states um, decide, well, okay, uh, we're going to split the tax revenues here depending on how long a person actually commutes to a state versus how long they actually work at home. But a lot of states don't do that. Again, they say, we don't care. We want all the money, and we don't care if we're taxing you twice for the same work. Your state that you live in and our state that you commute to, we want the same amount of money regardless of what you do. That's also wrong. Um, 
You also have what are called convenience of employer rules. You know, these are requirements that if a taxpayer switches from commuting into a state to working remotely in another state, they still have to keep paying income taxes to the state they used to commute into. Also terribly unfair. And so what we did was create this index, Remote Obligations and Mobility, or Rome, that ranks states on the burdens that they put on remote and mobile workers and their employers. There are a few surprises here and a few unfortunate not surprises, and uh, we can certainly get into that. And the problem, Pete, is the average American, you know what, they can't know or keep up or be responsible or even deal with this in any way. Can they really? Not really, because in some cases, it may even be your locality. Uh, Look to places like Ohio and Michigan, for example, that have uh, pretty steep local taxes, and you might be violating a law, then you don't even know it. And... uh, that can be a real problem for workers. It can be a problem for employers, too. What do you think is going to happen here? Because you know what? Congress needs to get up to speed. If they're going to be the taxing entities and or state legislative bodies, they have got to keep up on this in a meaningful way, though, to have everybody turn out to be a criminal or everybody not be uh, compliant or whatever you want to talk about. You know, most people are just like, look, I don't, I don't mind paying my fair share of, of the proper role of government. I'm okay with all that. What I'm not okay with is always being the enemy, always being the bad guy that can never comply, never keep up, never know if I'm even safe from being uh, maybe a perjur- perjuring myself or a felon on what I claim and don't claim. And I'm not trying to um, get out of anything. I'm not trying to be the enemy of the government, but they're almost forcing me to be in that status and always in fear, always in, man, I don't even know if I can write under the penalty of perjury that I've done it right because I don't really factually even know. And as an American, I don't really even have the ability to even figure that out. And you say, well, get a tax consultant, get a tax accountant. They're not liable at the end of the day. I am. I'm the one that signs under the penalty of perjury. I would never try to commit perjury, but I may find myself in that position if I'm not very careful if this uh, differential keeps up, Pete. Yeah. That's a very important point, Sam. You can get a tax advisor, and if they uh, do something really dumb with your tax return, they may have penalties on them for it, but ultimately you, the taxpayer, are responsible for every item on that tax return. Or if it's payroll taxes, uh, the employer can be, but you also can have a fiduciary responsibility. And you're absolutely right. When these laws are so confusing and you don't really know how to comply with it, it's inevitable that government agencies are going to make mistakes when leveling an accusatory finger at you. And then you end up having to spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars just trying to get justice when you did nothing wrong. Well, or and oftentimes when you did something uh, you thought was right, but turned out to be wrong. And I'm going to give you a 30 second story to make the point. Back in the day, I owned some land and I eventually traded my land for some stock. And I was told that it was like kind enough not to cause a tax problem. Well, it turns out the accountant was wrong. And the government said you lost money on your stocks, but you made money on your land transition to stocks. Therefore, you had a gain and a loss. And I said, no problem. I'll take the gain. I'll take the loss. We're good. They said, no, Sam, you got to take the gain right now. 
but you can't take the loss all in the same year as the gain. You have to take the loss over several years, so you owe us money. And I said, well, that's great. I don't care if I owe you money or not. I don't have the money because I never got any. They said, we don't care. You owe anyways. Oh. I said, well, I'm not even debating if I owe. I'm not here to debate and argue the law with you. I'm just here to tell you you can't make me pay money that I don't have. So anyway, long story short, I had to uh, eventually pay monthly. I paid monthly for several years. I eventually hired the right people to help me file for an abatement. And in the end of the day, I won. But my whole point is that's an example where that discongruent in the laws caught me in a bind claiming that I owe money that I never had, I never got, and I didn't have to pay. You could say I owe it all day, but if I don't have it, I can't give it to you. I'm not even debating the law. I'm just so uh, this takes a real unique navigation to, to muddle through. I would yeah. submit they're all culpable, though, but I was the only one that had to pay. In the end of the day, I won, so it's good news, but it was a very difficult scenario, and I kind of felt like a criminal. I just felt like, what the heck? I I followed advice from the best advisor I had. It was wrong. Fine, I'll own that, but now you're making me pay something that I don't have, so now I'm struggling in my family budget to pay for it. Eventually, I got them to write me checks, and I got my money back. But it was a hassle. It was unnecessary. I never tried to do anything wrong, but I was caught in this melee relating to exactly what we're talking about right now. Different scenario, but same principle that you're caught in the middle with no solution. Pete? Yes, exactly. And how much time and money and productivity did you spend having to rectify that situation? In the end, that kind of expense is just sunk. There is no uh, way you can recover those costs. And that is also something we need to count as a drain on the economy. Your situation multiplied maybe a million, five million times over every year. That's billions of dollars in lost productivity and lost money that could be spent doing other things in our economy that could help us take care of our families, help invent that new widget that other people can benefit from, help employ others. That needs to be counted as a cost, too. And let's make it very clear. It cost me several thousand dollars and hundreds of hours to resolve, plus a lot of fear and aggravation. I was thinking that I might go to jail or lose my house or because I didn't know how I was going to pay for this this sum, and I didn't know how I was going to work it. I never intended to cheat the government. I never intended to not comply. I never intended to not pay. None of that was on my agenda whatsoever, but they kind of made an enemy out of it. I hate those people now, and, and, and I hate them not even so much that I hate paying my proper fair share. What I hate is that even when I do my very best, I'm in some kind of a snare as if I'm the bad guy. I'd love nothing more than just to take care of it and be done and move on with my life. And that's what I think most of us want to do. Thus, the debt ceiling comes to mind. The debate rages. What do you think is going to happen? Are they just going to cave and raise it again? Well, we hope that there will be at least some discussion, Sam, around figuring out why Congress keeps going down this hole. You know, it's one thing to talk about the full faith and credit of the U.S. government and the credit rating being downgraded if we don't fulfill the debt ceiling increase. But we also have to realize our credit rating is going downhill if we don't stop getting into this situation of borrowing so much. We're proposing that Congress hold a week of debate, a whole week, called National Debt Awareness Week, where they take the 10 best proposals from Republicans for reducing the national debt, the 10 best proposals from Democrats, 
and they actually hold votes on those before they hold a vote on increasing the debt ceiling. Let's Amen have a to that. little it's bit a brilliant of accountability. Plan. It's a brilliant plan, yeah. but here's my plan. Hopefully they'll entertain mine, but I know they won't. I think you just shut down the government entirely, and then you bring back by single-item bills anything that's constitutionally justified. The rest you don't touch. Well, certainly. I mean, when you look at Article One of the U.S. Constitution and the enumerated powers, I, I know that we actually studied this topic about 15 years ago and said, what if government was only funded within the enumerated powers of the U.S. Constitution? The budget would be about two-thirds less than it is right now. And I, I guarantee you that that number is probably even, even more now, given the fact of what we spent uh, on emergencies in the last three years. Yeah, but just shut it all down. And then we'll just simply bring back bill by bill by bill. Anything that's justifiably constitutional, uh, we'll bring it back one at a time. And if we act quickly, if we work hard, we can fund all the appropriate legitimate form and reality and uh, appropriateness of government. And the rest will just never come back. Well, and we could start a debate over legitimate functions of government in Congress right now. That's the important thing. Why wait until the week before the debt ceiling cannot be extended or we cannot use extraordinary measures? Why wait until the end of the calendar year? Do that exercise now. And that would be a demonstration to creditors and investors around the world that we're finally getting serious about long-term fiscal responsibility. Ladies and gentlemen, the NTU, National Taxpayers Union, is your partner to have those discussions. Your partner to promote the proper role of limited government and properly fund it. But at the same time, jettison wastes of money, uh, expenditures that are not constitutional or unacceptable. The way forward is to partner with the NTU. Pete Sepp, president, NTU.org. They've got solutions and they want your involvement. Pete, thank you so much, sir. We'll talk soon. Always a pleasure. Take care. There he goes. Pete Sepp doing a phenomenal job. Always on your radio. He's been with us for more than 20 years, ladies and gentlemen. These people are for real. That's why I spend so much time with them, because we want solutions brought to the table. This is the one and only Liberty Roundtable Live. LibertyRoundtable.com, LovingLiberty.net, our nationally syndicated network. Donate liberally. Get involved today, would you please? We declare this nation shall endure. God save the Republic of the United States of America. <laughs>